Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Kingdom Coach Kurt Bradford. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. My name's uh, Kurt Bradford, and I used to be uh, on staff here. And uh, when they were looking for someone to fill in while Pastor Joe was on sabbatical, they went everywhere they could find and nobody would come. But, uh, but I said, yes, you know, I need to work. I need to come and, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm blessed to be here. Uh, I, Joyce and I have been part of this, uh, this fellowship actually for 33, 33, is that right? 33 years we've been here now. And so uh, we were first came and there's a church called Midland Park and then it became River Bluff, and God is, you know, we've been blessed by that. So I'm grateful to be here, and I, I, I'm really, I continue to be grateful for what you're doing uh, in sending Pastor Joe away on this sabbatical for rest, for growth in Christ. Um, a lot of the churches that I uh, connect to are unaware of the spiritual pressure that exists on a pastor. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, when we say that, we, we typically think about, well, you know, they have to deal with a lot of death and, and grief and things like that. And it's really, that, that is true. Uh, and all of the other stuff that happens in human beings' lives. But it's really the pressure from the world, the flesh, and the devil that really kind of shuts you down a lot of times. And you need just time to get away. Uh, time to get away, not necessarily to go fishing or to take a break, it's where you get away to let the Lord refresh your soul so that you can refresh the souls of others. Uh, it's, it's an awesome thing. And so I'm, 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 I celebrate the fact that you guys saw that, that need and that you, you did that. I want to look today at a passage in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. It's on page 782. Uh, <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> okay Jeremiah chapter 17 let me read it to you thus says the Lord cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, would you? Our Father and our God, uh, the saints that are called River Bluff Church have gathered. Many here in this room and others at home or some other place online but we are your saints gathered 
to worship you, um, to hear from your word. And so I pray now for your protection, Lord, for these who gather here or other places. And on their behalf, I, I submit to you, O oh God, confessing Jesus is Lord. I do resist the devil, and your word says he must flee. I crucify the flesh, putting off the old man and putting on the new. And I choose not to love the ways of the world, but rather to love your ways, your kingdom ways. I do put on the full armor you give us, Lord, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, taking up the sword of the Spirit, your word and prayer, and asking that you would enable me, enable us, enable this church to be strong in you and in the power of your might. I do pray all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Would you hear the prayer that we pray now just as you taught your disciples to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The text that I read to you today is uh, Jeremiah speaking to uh, the Hebrew people, to the nation of Israel. Some would say that it was primarily before they were taken into captivity by Babylon. Others would say that some of it is actually during that captivity or somewhat after the captivity. But Jeremiah is one of those prophets who served under several different kings. And Jeremiah is talking to them because they are um, suffering. They're oppressed. They're persecuted. Uh, they're marginalized. Indeed, when Babylon came to uh, Jerusalem... They pretty much burned everything there, and then they took everybody that was healthy or good-looking, they took them to Babylon about four or 500 miles away, and they made them live there, and, and they were there for 70 years. And so one of their responses in, to this suffering, to this fact that they were like aliens in, in, a, in a culture that they didn't understand. Uh, Babylon had multiple gods and idols and things like that. But So here, here are the people of God that worship Jehovah who are now in Babylon where there are multiple gods, multiple beliefs. There's a tremendous immorality. Nothing, I mean, it's like the, the, op the opposite of Judaism. That, that's where they are. And they begin trying to figure out, how did we get here? How did this happen? And over in Jeremiah 16, the chapter before this, God speaks to Jeremiah. And he tells them, he says, uh, the people of Israel are going to ask, how did we get here? How did this happen? 
And, and literally, they say, what did we do wrong? In other words, they're approaching it as if they did nothing wrong and God arbitrarily decided to punish them, to send them to Babylon, to, to hurt them, to cause them pain, to isolate them. And so that's the way they were approaching. They, they were in a terrible situation and they were approaching it as if God did it for some reason that they didn't even know what reason it was. And in, in chapter 16, God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, these people are going to wonder, what did we do wrong? They're going to ask, what did we do wrong? It was as if they were thinking they had nothing to do with their current situation. So when it came to be, how did we get here? They're thinking, God must have done it. It couldn't possibly have been us. And then God in chapter 16 tells them, he says, look, you tell them, it was because of your sin and your forefathers' sin that you are here. In other words, it's because of the sin of your generation and the generations before you. And what he's, what he's showing them is he says, listen, you think that sin doesn't have consequences? It does. Sin has results. And those are the things that happen to When you sin, there are results there are consequences uh, and, he, and he says look you guys haven't got this and so that's when Jeremiah in this chapter and specifically in the verses we just read Jeremiah is saying to them you need to remind them of some basics you know uh, when uh, Vince Lombardi came to be the coach at the Green Bay Packers years ago they had had years and years of losing teams and so Vince Lombardi said, we're going to start back at the beginning. We're going to go back to the basics. We're going to do the very foundational, basic stuff of football. And so he held up a football and he said, this is a football. Well, that's what Jeremiah is doing here. It's, it's like uh, my grandmother used to hold my face when she wanted to tell me something and make sure I paid attention. Well, this is like Jeremiah is saying, listen, you people are suffering, and somehow you just figure God did it. And he says, I want to remind you of something. And that's when he looks at verse 5. He says, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. There are three things there. He says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. He's saying basically one of the things you have done is you trust in yourselves more than God. You really believe that somehow deliverance is from yourselves, that somehow the best way of, to live is from yourselves. You trust in man. You trust in humanity. A, a good a, a pre, a predecessor to this is back in the book of Judges where uh, there was Moses and then Joshua and then there comes the book of Judges and in that book there, it says I think three times I know it's twice maybe three times he says and in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes which means I become the authority in my life I, I'm the ruler I'm the king of my life and, and what he's saying here is that cursed is the man who trusts in himself, 
who trusts in humanity, and even the variation on that, who trusts in a bunch of us, all of us, rather than trusting in God or trust in the flesh. When he's saying anything that's earthly, anything that's physical, anything that's in and of your power, he says, and what he's saying is if your trust is in yourselves, it would be like today saying that the only hope for humanity is humanity. Once you say that out loud and it sounds stupid, it probably is. Because our hope and our faith and our trust is not in ourselves. Uh, It's got to be in the Lord God. And that's what he's saying. He says, look, cursed is the man who trusts in himself, who trusts in his flesh, or who even trusts in any form of earthly power. But then, then he points out that the person who trusts in himself, well, let's say that that I'm a follower of God, okay, and I'm walking this way, and God's over here, and I'm looking at God, and I'm trusting in Him. If I begin to trust in myself or trust in my flesh, here's what happens. You slowly turn away from God to trusting in something else. And even though it sounds like a good thing, you know, we got to be strong together. It's all of us together. We can fight this thing, all of us together. And God is saying, well, you know, you go for it. But listen, cursed is the man who trusts in himself or in humanity or even in some other God. But worse than that, cursed is the man who turns away from God. And then he uses this picture where he says he'll be like a bush in the desert. One translation says a shrub. It's like a, we had a tree picture, you know, the tree. We had a healthy tree and then a tree that was, falling, you know, no, no leaves falling apart. And everything. He says, look, that's what this guy's life, this person's life is going to be like if they trust in themselves, trust in the flesh, and they turn away from trusting in God. They're going to be like a bush in the desert and will not see whenever prosperity comes. Or one translated to us, when anything good comes, they won't even be able to see it. They will not experience, but they will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. He's saying the person who trusts in something other than God is like a shrub or a bush in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a wilderness, you know, in the middle of a place where the earth is parched. There's no water. There's only heat. There's drought, no water, and definitely no fruit. So God is saying right here, look, it's not God saying, if you do this, I'm going to curse you. What he's saying to you is, look, there is a way to live. There is a good and beautiful way to live. And then there's the way that results in death and destruction. And that's not the first time they've heard that. They heard it from Moses back in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses says, today I set before you life and death. You know, prosperity and destruction. He said, I set that before you. Joshua told him the same thing. But see, they had forgotten that. It was like like they had decided we can do what we want to do when we want to do and be the chief and boss of our own lives. and, And it doesn't matter. And we won't, we won't suffer at all. And so it's kind of like Dr. Phil says, so how's that working for you? You know, it's not. But then rather than say the word cursed, 
about another way of life. He said there is a blessed way of life. Actually, in Hebrew, cursed is what they call the antonym, the opposite of blessed. So here's blessed, here's cursed, or here's cursed, here's whatever. And then he says, here's what the blessed person looks like. Blessed, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted by water that puts his roots deep down into a stream. He won't fear when it gets hot or the heat comes. Its leaves will always be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought and it will always bear fruit. So here's what God is saying. God is says there are let's say two major ways in front of you Israel or perhaps in front of you church. He says there's the way that is the good, the beautiful, bear fruit, um, enjoy the presence of God, and then there's the way that's the exact opposite of that. Now, far too many of us think that what that means is that God looks down at us and says, aha, you broke a rule, so I'm going to punish you. Ah, you did something wrong, I'm going to curse you now. That's not what's going on here. When God created all that there is, the creator God created a good and beautiful way to live. He told Adam and Eve, here's the way to good, good and beautiful life. Trust me. Obey me. Follow me. And you will be blessed. But if you turn away, you'll be cursed. So when the person turns away from God and then they suffer the consequences of sin, how can we look up at God and say, why did you do this to me? It'd be like my dad. My dad smoked uh, Chesterfield cigarettes for about 20 or 30 years, and he got lung cancer. Now, could my dad say, why did you do this to me, God? Of course not. Who did that to him? He did that to him. It was his choice. It was his decision. And what God is saying in this text is, I have laid out for you the way that is the way where you live in the presence of God. Now, don't misunderstand what it means to be blessed. No matter what they say on the award show on TV, it's not just blessed to win the award. You are blessed with the presence of God who lives in you. Those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, out of the lips of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us and will be with us no matter what comes. It doesn't say you won't have problems. It just says that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear not. Why? Because thou art with me. Thou art in me. God is with. The blessed life is the with God life. That you live that life no matter what comes, even in heat or where it gets so stinking hot it's awful, or whether it's in cold where you're freezing to death, or whether there's water or no water, you are still bearing fruit because God Almighty lives in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are blessed. And that's what he's telling. And so he's reminding Israel, reminding them, Judah actually, literally, that there is a way to live. And it is a good and beautiful way to live, but there's also a way to live that is destructive. The way is uh, harmful, not just for you, and for other people. And he's explaining that to Judah, to Israel. Now, 
I, I think we don't have to really work too hard to see that there may be a parallel here for our current situation in America and maybe around the world. You know, I think one of our tendencies in the church sometimes is to figure that the problem is those people out there. It's them. What's the matter with those people out there? But it only takes a while, you know, and if one sincerely goes to the Father and asks for the Spirit to reveal things to us, that we reveal we too have sinned. As Dallas Willard pointed out, there are the sins of commission, those things that we have done that are wrong. But then there's the sins of omission, those things we were told to do and we didn't do. For example, the Great Commission. Every disciple of Jesus, go ye therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Is it possible that we haven't told other people about Jesus? Is it possible that what we wanted to do to help people was that we helped them to get a job or we got them some healing or some money or all of those things, which are wonderful. Yay, do those things. But have we done a lot of good things for people and somehow neglected to tell them the good news of Jesus, the good news of life? Uh, you know, my ministry now is with churches and pastors, and I do a lot of, a lot of trying to help churches do what they call revitalize, which is come back to life again. A lot of churches are praying for revival. And, and I'm praying with them for that. But then I, I ask, I say, well, now, have you really looked back at your history and seen, are there things God told you to do that you didn't do? And are there things that you've done that really were not God-ordained? They were just good ideas of yours. See, we're, we're kind of like the people of Israel. We, we tend to look outward that all of our problems are because of those people out there. And yet, when we take the census information and ask people to identify if they're Christian or not, the majority of people in America say they are. And our response to that is, well, they're not really. <laughs> As if we, we can identify the real from the unreal. You see, God is calling the church, I believe, to make a difference in the world during times like today when, as my grandmother used to say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's getting worse and worse and worse every day. And so we say, well, what do we do? Well, could it be that God is saying to the church, let me hold your face, church, Cursed is the man who, you know what I'm saying? Blessed is the man. You could insert the word church in here. Cursed is the church who trusts in mankind. Cursed is the church who makes their flesh, their strength. Cursed is the church whose heart turns away from the Lord and turns to religion. For they'll not see good. But blessed is the church who trusts in the Lord 
and trust the Lord. I don't know whether you caught the distinction there. Two phrases. He says he trusts in the Lord and trusts the Lord. Those are two different things. It's entirely possible to trust in the Lord, to believe there is a God, that he does rule all that there is. He is the sovereign God of the universe. To believe that completely, but not trust the Lord in what he says. See, that's what Israel did. If you ask them, is there a God? Is there a God? They say, yeah, of course there is. And you say, well, do you trust him? Well, I trust him in some things. It's kind of like one of the issues that I deal with today uh, in churches is when I come to a church that's having trouble. And I'll say, well, let's look back at your history. Is there anywhere in there you had division in your church? And they'll say, yeah, well, we had, we had a big split in our church, you know. I said, really? I said, well, what did y'all do with it? He said, well, we just started us another church down the road. You know, we just, you know, we, we, uh, they were First Baptist. We're Second Baptist. You know, they're, they're First Church of Love and Joy, and we're the Second Church of Love and Joy. And if they mess with me, we'll start the Third Church of Love and Joy. And when, I, and when I'm talking to them, I say, well, have y'all ever read Matthew 5 or Matthew 18? And they say, well, I'm sure we have, but tell us, what does it say? I said, well, here's this Kurt Bradford translation. If you have a problem with another person, go to them privately and talk to them. And if that doesn't work, get some help. Did y'all try that? And they say, well, no, but you didn't know those other people. I mean, there's always a reason why they didn't. See, that's, that's the difference in trusting in God and trusting God. It's sort of like Jesus says, when you have a disagreement with another person, you go to that person privately and talk to them and try to work it out. And we say, bless your heart, Jesus. You just don't know that guy or that woman. Or, or Jesus, you know, if you only knew what I knew. Now, listen, if you say something stupid like that, if it sounds stupid, it probably is. But see, that's the difference in trusting in God and trusting God. And so he says to the church today, in the church, have you submitted to the rule of God and you trust in God and God's ways? God has exhibited his ways through the scripture, through the prophets, and then ultimately in Jesus Christ and has given the Holy Spirit to you and the church and the scripture and biblical community so that you can know what is the good and beautiful way to live. So it's not like we're helpless. It's he has shown us how to live just as he showed Israel, showed Judah, showed the people. Now I want to suggest to you two things that I think that God has done and made available to us in Christ. It's very important for you to know because I think these things are available to humanity. First thing is this, God has made available to us a restored relationship by grace. God has made, it's possible no matter what you've done, no matter who you did it with, no matter how long you did it, no matter how bad it was or how ashamed you are, Jesus Christ offers forgiveness and cleansing and redemption. Though our sins be as scarlet, we shall be washed as white as snow. God has made that available to any and everybody. Scott referred to the story of uh, Corey Ten Boom, and uh, I've actually been to Auschwitz and Birkenau 
to see in Poland those two places where people were slaughtered. Did you know that salvation was available to Adolf Hitler? But he didn't take it. He didn't receive it. Salvation is available because God Almighty made it available. And now you've got to be clear on what that salvation is. We're talking here about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that Christ died for your sins and if you pray a sinner's prayer and start going to church and trying to be good, you'll go to heaven when you die. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ did everything necessary to save you. Jesus did it all. That song, the old hymn, Jesus paid it all, there's a period at the end of that sentence. If you're trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ for your relationship with God, you're going to be considerably let down one day. That's why in funerals, whenever I'm doing a memorial service for someone that passed away, I'll say, you know, if someone were to say, why should I let you into heaven? I would grab the robe of Jesus and say, I'm with him. Alistair Begg, a really great Scottish preacher, I saw a clip this past week that something he said that, he said, can you imagine, you know, the, you know when Christ was crucified on the cross, there's one uh, criminal on one side, another criminal on the other side, and Jesus is in the middle. One criminal cursed Jesus and, and gave him a hard time and all that kind of stuff. The other criminal said, Lord, remember me when you came into my, come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Can you, and what he pointed out, he says, can you imagine that first guy's first day in heaven? And somebody says, how did you get here? And he said, the guy on the middle cross told me to come. See, that's why you're going to be there too. That's why you have a relationship with God that begins now and will last for all eternity is because of, quote, the guy on the middle cross who died in your place, took all of your sins upon himself and was resurrected from the dead. And he has offered to you salvation and made it free to any who would repent and believe. God did that. We didn't do it. We didn't work hard. We, you know, we try to save ourselves, and we just fail every time. But God has made available to all of humanity a restored relationship with the God of the universe. And make no mistake about it, when we all get here, we are, we are lost as a duck in a snowstorm. Every one of us is lost until we are saved. And Christ saved us and offered it and said, come to me, all of you who need to be saved. And he saves you. It's proper for us to understand that because then we won't get too proud as we start looking around and noticing all those sinful people over there. You know, the Holy Spirit just reminds us, look, uh, let me point out some of the stuff I'm still working on in you. And let me point out to you what I had to deal with in order to save you. And can you see me on this cross? I'm dying for you, for every sin. God has made that available to us. The second thing I think God has made available to us, though, is that God has given us a way of life that is a way of grace. It was the grace of God that gave us a way of life. See, far too many uh, people, Kurt's opinion now, far too many churches, we're really kind of uh, heaven-focused in our evangelism and we don't really point out that it is a new birth, but then the, the same God 
who saved you in his son now gives you the Holy Spirit and will show you how to live the rest of your life through the power of his Holy Spirit. And it's a gift. It's by grace. So not, not only by grace are you saved through faith, by grace through faith do you live. And the Holy Spirit has come to show you this is a good way to live and this is not a good way to live. When, when we approach that as if this is what really ticks God off and makes him mad and this is what makes him happy, you're missing the whole point. It's like a parent telling a child, don't drink acid. It'll kill you. Don't run into traffic. It'll kill you. Or it's like the, the professor that says, listen, if you want to pass this test, you need to study tomorrow. Or like my dad, if you don't want cancer, don't smoke. You see, the Lord is giving us the good and beautiful way to live because even though we have sinned, all of humanity, God has offered us salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ, but then teaches us a better way to live. Not just better, but the only beautiful, good way to live that results in life. So we follow Jesus not because we're afraid not to, but we follow him because we actually trust him. We don't just trust in him, we trust him. So when he says, you need to forgive, I'm not going, well, Lord, if you only knew what they did to me. You know, and Jesus would say, do you think I don't know what they did to you? Do you really think I wasn't prepared for your situation when I died on the cross for you? See, the teachings of Jesus are the ways to the good and beautiful life. You know, <laughs> that's what he says. He says, if you want to spend all of your life getting money and stuff and things, he says, that won't satisfy you. I'm telling you, because even when you get it, you're going to be like J. Paul Getty when somebody asked him, how much money is enough money? And he said, one more dollar. See, what Jesus says to us, I am, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's not just I'll take you to heaven, but I'll show you how to live before heaven. And that's what he's saying to them, and he's, I think he's saying to us now. But I think that at this time in history, once again, Kurt's opinion, I think in this time in history, we have to get back to basics about what's truly important. And I'm not just talking, I told a lady one time that, uh, at her church, I was trying to counsel them on how to help their church. I said, well, we need to get back to basics. She said, yeah, RAs and GAs. We need RAs and GAs. I said, well, you do know there was Jesus before there was RAs and GAs, right? Then another fellow said, well, it's got, we got to sing the old hymns. That's what it is. Did you know that there was a time in history when the old hymns were actually considered sacrilegious by the church? Did you know that they almost hung, oh, oh I forgot his name, Handel, Hallelujah Chorus. They tried to kick him out of the church because they said there's no way somebody would sing Hallelujah over and over and over again. You see, God is calling the church to refocus ourselves in the ways of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Here lately, I've um, 
when I went, uh, I went back to school after, after I left here, I figured I needed to get an education. So I, I left here and uh, went back to school. And uh, I've discovered I actually have a, a love of learning. I like learning. I, I like reading. Uh, and I really like uh, reading books by people that I don't agree with because it kind of makes me have to think, you know, how do I do all that? But, but uh, there's two books that I do think a lot like the people that I've read lately. One of them is called A Secular Culture by Charles Taylor. He's a philosopher. It's what they call a tome. It's about that thick, you know, like bigger than war and peace kind of book. Uh, and I'm only a part way through all of it. I haven't finished it yet. I have to read it in spurts, you know. And then the other book is called uh, Becoming the Bad Guys. Becoming the Bad Guys by a guy, McAlpin. Uh, just excellent little book. And then the, the third book is actually a booklet. It's not that thick. By a guy named Malcolm Muggeridge, who was a, a British uh, teacher, speaker, celebrity. And his book's called The End of Christendom. Now, Christendom is, it's not, Christendom is not Christianity. Christendom is a culture built on the teachings of, of Jesus. Uh, you, know, that, you know, that's the foundation. But Christendom is what develops out of that. And so Muggeridge says uh, his book is about the end of Christendom uh, in uh, Great Britain. And what, he's, what he's pointing out is that most of Great Britain, when he did this, he said most of Great Britain are members of the church, but none of them live according to the teachings of Jesus, or not none, but few live according to the teachings of Jesus. And so he said, well, if you wanted to analyze our culture, you really wouldn't call it a Christian or Christendom. You would call it a, a secular culture of which there are many options. That's that book. Charles Taylor suggests that the, the culture has gradually over, you know, it's kind of accelerated in the last 40 to 50 years, has gradually become a secular culture in which there are. It's, secular culture is not the absence of Christianity. It's just Christianity is one of many options. There are bunches of options out there. Everything from, from atheism to paganism to other religions, other things. And so that's, that's what he does. But the book called Being the Bad Guys by McAlpine, uh, that's interesting because he said we, he kind of traces how we have gone from being uh, participants and even influencers in the American culture. That at one time we had uh, the phrase they use is we have a seat at the table. In other words, we help to shape the culture. And indeed, when the pilgrims landed, you know, 1621, we had a, it was pretty much a, a Christian organized thing to come and to establish a culture based on the teachings of Christ. And so that, that came, but that's where we were. But he, he, noted, he says, as we progressed historically, we began to be uh, one of many options. And then we became, um, I guess the word uh, is um, endured. We were, it was kind of like they would say, well, bless the heart. You know, those people believe in Jesus. <laughs> Bless their heart, they believe in Jesus. But then from there, we became tolerated. We would just put up with. As long as you stay over there by yourself and be quiet, you know. But then we became more marginalized. 
and more on the periphery of culture. And there are even those today who say we are dangerous. We are dangerous to the American culture with our beliefs, with our way of speaking, with our way of thinking, how we think about any number of issues, no matter what it is, that we're dangerous. Well, now how do we respond to that? I tell you, the way that I've seen more people respond, and I don't, I, these are, I'm just telling you observations. I'm not saying I agree with them. But there are, there are some that believe that what we need to do is use some form of earthly power to take back what was ours that we lost. You know, just whatever, whether it's political power, financial power, majority rules, educational power, you, you name it, some, some power. But I would say the scripture teaches not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is where the church does not need to seek goals that are, you are attained by earthly ways or strategies. This is where the church should humble herself before God. In every church, in every disciple of Jesus would say, Lord, is it I? Am I the one who trust in something other than you? Am I the one who trusts, trusts my way more than your way? Am I the one who thinks I have a better idea? Am I the one who I haven't turned my back on you, but I've asked you to go stand over there and I'll call you when I need you? See, this is a time for the church and the disciples who are in the church to humble themselves before God. And say, God, search me. Try my heart. See if there be any wicked way within me. The next verse in that passage in Jeremiah says, the heart is more deceitful than you would ever know. And so that's why my call to the church today is to say, let's don't point or think about they and them. Let's do I, me, mine, because I truly believe the time is short. I told a story here before about my dad. Uh, I figure it's new to anybody that just came since I left. My dad was in uh, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam and uh, fought in all of his career army. Got out of the army and became a, a postman and on his way to work one day he had a crash and was paralyzed from the neck down. Couldn't move. And he was like that for almost a year. But then eventually through therapy and some other things he was able to walk with the use of a walker and eventually a, a cane Several years after that car wreck, maybe two or three years later, he was able to walk with the help of a device, let's say from here to that door, but it'd take him about a half an hour to get there, but he could still get there. And so that was it. And then 
uh, after it wasn't that long, he got cancer. I, I mentioned that he had, he smoked. He smoked Chesterfields, no filter, you know, and uh, he got lung cancer. And so we, we were actually at seminary when Dad called to say, you know, they've given me about a year to live. And so we moved back here and uh, came back, and so we could be a little more with my dad. And uh, uh, the week before Dad died, Dad got my dad died on June the first. And somewhere around December the 23rd or the 24th, we were at their house. Uh, and my dad, my dad couldn't move by that time. He had had all these treatments. He only weighed about 80 pounds. He was just, in other words, whenever he went anywhere, I had to go pick him up. Either me or my brother would have to pick him up and carry him to wherever he was going to sit. And, uh, you know, just a frail little man. Skin was, you know, you just touched it and it would bruise. I mean, just that. So anyway, uh, we were over there, and I went back. Uh, I said, where, I said um, I'm going to go back to Dad because Dad was either sitting up with us for 10 minutes and then, or, or he was in the bed, and he slept a lot. And so um, I went back there to Dad's room, and Dad was staring at the ceiling. And I said, Dad, what are you thinking about? And now my dad uh, was a part of the Methodist church, uh, there in North Georgia, and uh, Dad had taught a Sunday school class there of young young Christians and everything. It's really great because it was later in my life, my dad's life, that he recommitted his life to Christ and gave the Lord everything. So it, God was blessing him. And but you know, I, so I'm thinking about Dad. What are you thinking about? Because he's staring at the ceiling. And this is what my dad said. He said, "I'm trying to figure out what can I do." with what I have left. Now here's a guy that can't stand up on his own. He, he can't even get out of the bed. Somebody's got to pick him up. They have to all practically chew his food. And he's trying to figure out, how am I going to serve God with what I have left? Because what I have left is still my mouth that can pray I can still listen when I have those tapes that read the Bible to me. And when people come to see me, I can pray for them and love them. Well, church, right now, another Kurt's opinion. The church is in decline in America. And I'm talking about in numbers, um, in influence. Uh, certainly, in my opinion, in holiness. And we look and say, well, what can we do with what we have left? <laughs> well, there are several things that you have not lost or the church has not lost. One of them is the Holy Spirit has never left you. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, he said before he was on the cross, I will never leave you or forsake you and I will send the Holy Spirit to live in you you have the Holy Spirit in there still to help you read your Bible to help you to know what is sin what needs to be confessed what needs to be forgiven what needs to be changed in your life so you go to the Holy Spirit and in his word and you also have a Bible most of you still have at least one Bible where you can read through and say God speak to my heart Show me what I need to change, what I need to put off, and what I need to put on. Show me, Lord. And you have the community of faith. 
that is this community here, which is far more than a group of consumers of religious goods and services who have decided to gather together periodically to listen to a great music program and preacher in a nice building. You're part of God's family. You're his children. You're brothers and sisters. And when you say, my people, you're talking about those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, your people. So with those three resources that God has given you, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and biblical community, you can dig your roots like the second plant, the tree. Dig your roots deep into Christ. Let him feel the warm living waters flow up into your being. You can still bear fruit, and fruit that remains that doesn't go away. For this indeed is your hour. Whether the Lord decides to come back and take his church home tomorrow, or whether he decides to let us go through a difficult time, we will have to do what uh, John recorded Jesus as saying to the church at Sardis, wake up and strengthen what remains. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, I thank you for your love and for your blessing. I pray that everything that I've said today that was from you, that all of that will be planted like seeds buried deep into the hearts of these, your people, present here or online. I also pray, Lord, that if I have uh, been in error, I pray that you would correct my thinking, especially in the hearts and minds of these, your people. For these are your children. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that there will genuinely be fruit that remains because a group of people decided to worship with this people called River Bluff Church. We pray now, Lord, you would use us and that we would trust in your power alone, for you are the Christ. It is in your name that I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.